0: Hey y'all. Apologies for this podcast coming out super late. As I mentioned on Twitter, I thought I had edited it before the holidays. I came back and got ready to release it and discovered I hadn't. Not only had I not edited, but it was a two hour long interview. So I'm splitting it into two chunks. From looking at my analytics, I've noticed that most folks only listen to the first half of the episode. This does make some sense. I've noticed myself that uh, I usually don't have really long periods of time to listen to a podcast, especially when I'm driving. I may only drive for 20 or 30 minutes. and If I get half or most of the way through the podcast, I frequently will never get back to it. This makes me wonder if shorter, more frequent releases would increase the number of folks who listen. I may start splitting the interview for more frequent releases. Same number of interviews, just split into two or more digestible parts. I may try that out for a few months and see if that improves the numbers and see how you folks feel about it. Let me know in the comments or on Twitter. Either way, this conversation with Ziva occurred back in September, but it was preempted with some discussions on Megaglam. We deep dive into some specifics on video fetish work. Enjoy! Good day, everyone, and welcome back to the Not Safe for Work Photography Podcast. There are thousands of models and photographers creating adult content using modern platforms and taking control of their own creative lives. Today, we're finishing our interview with Ziva Fay. We started this back in May, but we ran out of time. Ziva is a Phoenix-based traveling nude model, modeling since 2012 as a live nude art model. She currently makes her living as a content creator. How are you doing today, Ziva?
1: I'm doing well. How are you today?
0: I am not bad. This has been a busy weekend.
1: It's just hot where I am at.
0: Yeah, I think uh my sister-in-law lives down in Texas, which obviously is not Arizona, but just close, and it's mm-hmm. like 108 down there today.
1: Yep, yep, it's about that. It's around there. Yeah. It's around there. 108, yeah, that's 110 kind. Of- <laughs> yeah.
0: But it's dry heat, right?
1: It's a dry heat. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it's in my opinion more tolerable, more tolerable than humidity, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so We are continuing our summer of fetish here on the podcast. We talked pretty extensively before how you got into modeling, so we're not going to rehash that. Go listen to the previous episode. Now, fetish modeling related questions. How do you determine your boundaries in terms of fetishes you will or won't model?
1: Um, Okay, so the way I typically determine my boundaries is by um, kind of like what you're comfortable with in your regular sexual life. So if there's some things that you are or are, are not okay with, um, that's kind of typically going to be your baseline. I, I'm a switch. So I think that people need to, if they're just getting started into it, they need to discern if they are a dom, a sub, or a switch, and then go from there. For, my, for discerning my boundaries, I would say I started with things that I knew I was comfortable with and then you, because I know that there's another question about experimentation and stuff like that, so I won't get ahead of myself. <laughs> uh, so you kind of, you start with what you know you're okay with and like that you are firmly comfortable with doing with yourself or that you've done in like... <laughs> your private life kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I've actually even seen that. A couple models that were on the podcast, I've been watching them transition from art nude models to fetish models over the past year, which has been really interesting because when they came on the podcast, they were pretty strictly art nude only. And over the last few months, I've been seeing them move on to OnlyFans and start doing fetish work.
1: Right. Yeah, and there is... um. There is a possibility of evolving. You know, when you start doing something and you start modeling and you're doing things that you're comfortable with, there is room for growth and experimentation. Um, A lot of people feel, you know, make connections with certain photographers or models and feel comfortable. They build friendships with them, build uh, relationships with them outside of the set kind of scene. And I think that allows a safe and consenting adult space to try and experiment and do other things and try things off camera before you try them on camera or try mm-hmm. them on camera trade with, like, somebody you really trust. If you're like, eh, that made me feel icky. I don't want that to be released. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I've seen models – I have seen models uh grow and, like – um. Evolve their limits and then also devolve their limits because pe- humans are fluid. Performers are fluid people, and their situations and choices always change. Um, but I've also seen models not change their limits at all. For example, <laughs> like my sister, she hasn't changed her limits at all since she started. She she hasn't. I mean. The most she's experimented with is doing like bondage in the sense of like fully clothed with handcuffs on, you know?
0: Is that because of a strong sense of self or just like a strong knowledge and I don't want to say Um, lack of personal growth because that seems negative.
1: (laughs) Well, I think that it's just like being steadfast in yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's particularly a bad thing not to not evolve your limits if you're if you know what you want to do and yeah. you're comfortable with it, I don't think that's a bad thing to not evolve your limits. I actually think that's a good thing because you're not being pressured by any outside influences. So,
0: well, and that's kind of the follow up question is where does that pressure come from? Do you see a lot of pressure from photographers to evolve your limits?
1: Oh yeah, um, for photographers and from fans. Fans are, mm. I mean, I get just as many messages from fans all the time, and then photographers push limits, um, often. I mean, there's there's good ones and bad ones. There's a lot of different people in every different industry, and um, you know, some people push limits almost intentionally, and then some people just don't have that level of professionalism quite there yet, which. That's okay. They're learning and growing. It's our job as models to be vocal and be like, you can't, you should advocate for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So this happens a lot in this industry. I can tell you that you'll probably hear this from another performer. You know, will you do X? No, I won't do X. Well, what if I increase the price limit, the price point by this much? Now, will you do X? Yeah, and that, unfortunately, um, does sometimes entice, like, a younger model who's in a, uh, maybe a situation that they really need the money or something like that, so there is, like, a hard sense of, like, boundary and self with your limits and being pushed because a lot of, especially the younger you are, uh, the less sure you are of yourself, that, you might be in a situation where you really need the money, but you're not, I call it enthusiastic consent. You're mm-hmm. not 100% down for the thing. You're only kind of like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, like you're, you can tell that the girl's not sure of herself or that, you know, rather than like, yeah, oh my gosh, I would love to, I'm just using this as an example. Yeah. I'd love to get fucked in the <laughs> ass. Oh, yes. Like, mm, let's do it. You know, not, that's not me. In this um industry you have to have a like you have to have a lot of discretion and just like be a responsible discernible adult that can I honestly you have to be able to read people decently.
0: And I see I see the same thing. That that sort of half-hearted consent, that's the one that's going to come back and bite you later because yeah. that's the uh, one that's going to ask you to take down the work later. And if you say no, they're going to sue you, or there's going to be negative publicity, or you're going to damage somebody else's life by not taking down the work. And yep, exactly. I don't even know what you do.
1: I've seen, I've seen producers work with girls, and they're they're like, ah, she, and and even myself, I and I'm like, I haven't given like an enthusiastic consent. Like you're still going to looking in the back of my head. I'm like, you're going to risk that content. To me, it's not worth the risk. I'd rather have all the paperwork, the enthusiastic consent. Um, I also recommend, if you are new into this, especially if you're trying to get into the production side, doing a pre- and Mm post-interview. And all that is is a quick one, two, three, four, five-minute thing. We say... Hi, what's your name? You're here under your own consent. You're here under your own will. Nobody's like forcing you to be here. You're sober. You're of your own sound mind and body. You know, what today's the date. Do you know what we're about to film? XX and X. And get the enthusiastic consent on camera. Then you film for two, four hours, whatever. You you did all of your blowjob, <laughs> your... Blow job, your clown balloon fetish your inflation fetish your bondage you know whatever you film that and then now you're uh i don't know if you're a person who wants to do p- paperwork before or after i personally recommend doing it before
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah and then typically people do payment after and stuff like that while you're wrapping up and doing like payment and all- or paperwork all that jazz You just get the model to do another quick interview that was like, hi, we just did X and X and X. You're aware. You're still of your sound mind, but you know, um, you're okay with everything that just happened. You're aware that it's going on the internet, you know, just, um, Mm -hmm. a quick pre and post interview is a good safety liability kind of check thing.
0: Yeah. Although I imagine the enthusiasm after four hours of filming might be a little lower. It might be like, oh, "I'm tired. I just want to go home."
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, it depends on the girl. I think, yeah, <laughs> definitely depends on the the, the performer. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> we'll accept tired consent at the end, <laughs> right? So you think you do think it's better to do it for the whole thing, not for each individual piece of content if you're doing multiple contents
1: um what what do you mean by that you mean don't do a little pre and post interview for every like how i hired the girls for eight videos yesterday do it yeah
0: yeah not doing the individual for each hiring
1: the girls for eight video okay so i hired the girls yesterday for four hours Mm -hmm. and i had a matrices set aside on a whiteboard to organize stuff so we could do a 10 minute video every half an hour so i could yeah, so I could get two – video, two t- well, they were 10 to 15-minute videos. So I could get two 10 to 15-minute videos done per hour. That was my goal, mm-hmm. four hours, eight videos. Because I set my time aside and how long it actually takes to do a 15-minute video,
0: mm-hmm. and people
1: don't realize – because 15 minutes is 15 minutes, right? And so if you're thinking if I'm doing two 15-minute videos an hour, I'm literally spending half an hour of the full hour on film – and then maybe that's another 10 minutes of changing. So I'm kind of eating up the whole time. So you literally might not have five minutes each, two girls, one girl. I hired two. So for me, to be honest with you, I would not have the time to get – I promised the girls they would be out of the door by 5 o'clock. I wouldn't be able to have the time to get pr- deliver, deliver my promise of the time expectation – if I did an interview for each little thing that doesn't quite make logical sense to me for efficiency, to be honest no. with you. If I do, if I were to do a pre and post video at the beginning where I say, we're going to do Hitachi work, we're going to do tickling work and we're going to do foot worship work. Those are all the, you know, as long as I make a, if I I personally think as long as I make my expectations clear and transparent and then don't pull any shit on set where I, I said we're gonna do hoochey work, we're gonna do tickling work, we're gonna do foot worship work, and that's what we did. Then mm-hmm. the video should be legal and consensual and all all hunky dory. But then if I right. pull some shit and I say we're gonna do hoochey work, foot worship work, and tickling work, and then all of a sudden we're doing wedgies, that's not what I'm. I wasn't transparent, I, you know. Right. Yeah. So honestly. Do what's best for your business and your time and huh. efficiency. Yeah.
0: So do you post that as well or do you just keep it no. kind of – All right. So that's just kept for in mm-hmm. case somebody comes and asks. Yeah. All right.
1: Well, I know one of your questions was – Well, it might be kind of good for me to transition into – You had a question that was kind of like do people ask you to do things that are outside uh, well, of your limits to well, let me, you and then let me follow them. up.
0: Well, let me follow up. With what yeah. I was thinking there, because I was thinking that, because I was like, ah, oh, well, if you do the work of the interview, then you probably want to let people know. So, for example, I was thinking of uh, content that I might shoot related to the podcast or to photography, where you may shoot like voyeurism related stuff, like models changing. Yeah. That can look kind of sketchy. Like it looks like a photographer may be doing something they're not supposed to. Right. Whereas – If you posted the interview, maybe at the end of the clip, like maybe it goes to black at the end of the clip and then like 15 seconds later, then the interview pops up and the model's like, you know, I was fully aware of this. I consented to this. I was a happy and, you know, uh, avid participant in this video. Like then that way you don't have that coming back and being like, look at this sketchy photographer doing the sketchy thing.
1: I mean, there are companies who do that. Like, so... I believe please don't quote me (laughs) i think it's like or some some kind of more violent company that does blowjob stuff they post Mm. at the end the pre-interview where they look cute after the yeah the end of the video the girl's destroyed so they post for the credits like i'm this is the name i always make up i do not know a human with this name i'm (laughs) stacy malacy and i'm I want it's to be channeling. and I'm ready yeah. and let's do it. And that's like and yeah. then they have their credits rolling. They don't post yeah. the whole thing. They post like just basically the enthusiastic um, Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, because they're I not going to post her name and the day and like where yeah. she lives and stuff. That's not okay. So No,
0: but I yeah. I think it does make sense for a certain subtype at least where it could be misinterpreted. Like if it's any kind of forced or
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, no, I've seen right. I've seen companies use it as a credit. Not right. the whole thing, but yeah, piece. Yeah, I've seen them use it as a credit. All right, it looks interesting. Pretty violent.
0: All right, well, we can move on on questions rather than just spend the whole time talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you find that photographers tend to be very upfront about their shoots, or videographers, or producers, or do they tend to be shy about what they specifically want to shoot, and it comes out? over the course of the, the time.
1: Right. So in my experience as Ziva, this is an mm-hmm. industry of extremes. So there's no in the middle, typically. <laughs> in my experience, there are photographers who are up front. Lots of people are up front. It's amazing. I appreciate it. I super appreciate transparency. Lots of people have been doing it for a long time, They have a formula, how they operate their business. They almost, and a lot of them have like almost a copy pasta. I call it a blurb, like a Mm -hmm. little word document or a paragraph or, or like last time we discussed how a lot of photographers have a limit checklist. Mm. They'll also have like a- I put
0: together my own, uh, one of those after that. That was like one of the first things I did when I got back from Vegas.
1: Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of a limit checklist, I've seen like- this, um, I would call it like a fill out forum. And it's where it's like maybe one to three or five pages. And it's actually before the checklist, typically. And it's like, are you okay with this and this type of modeling? Do you have exper- uh, experience in this and this type of modeling? Who are your references? What are you like? Just asking a lot of general audition questions, honestly. It's a, it's a virtual audition piece of paper mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh your sizes and then just like general model on set questions. And then yeah, usually the checklist is kind of found at the end of that. So, yeah, those are very helpful in being upfront. I appreciate that. I know exactly what I'm getting into. Some people Yeah, yeah they'll send their little paragraph or whatever and It's very clear, or I'll have questions, and they're very clear about it. They'll answer all my questions to a T. Don't leave anything open, or that it feels open. Also, when you're a model and you've been doing certain types of shoots for a very long time, let's say BDSM, for example, BDSM operates differently than a lot of fetishes because, like, well... Let's think about it. You're you're tied up and gagged and stuff. So just different types of like consent and just safety checks and things like that. And the more you've done it, the more you're just comfortable with yourself and you're like, oh, I know how the rope's tied. I know this. I know that you're not not to be like you're going to blow through or not care about those safety checklists, but you're just going to be like, I've seen these before. I know what he means by that kind Mm -hmm. of thing um however on the other side to me it's it's a, a coin toss to be honest with you i get so many emails saying and this is all it says i'd like to book you that's the whole email <laughs> that's For the what? whole when? email i get those so Where? much the whole, hi great look i'd love to book you no nothing else no other words and so I have to, like, start fishing for information at that point and be like, thanks, just making up a name, thanks, Chad, Um, I appreciate your message, I would absolutely love to work for you, what are you trying to book, what time, what day, do you have a wardrobe in mind, this, that, this, that, you know, start fishing, are you booking a session, are you booking a photo shoot, are you booking a video shoot, are you looking for a model coaching consultation, like, just, yeah. So typically I'm at a point in my career right now where I know what questions to ask that for myself as in my business and the way I operate to know what I need, like, okay, this is the information I need to know for me, Ziva, to feel comfortable, to go to a gig, comfortable, safe, know what the fuck I need to deliver. So, um, yes and no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I've been working on putting together a second sheet that's, like, all the content ideas and, like, a choose-your-own-adventure. Like, here's the things I want to do. Please select which of them you're comfortable doing.
1: Nice, so that, yeah.
0: So that people can be like, here, you know, where are my limits?
1: Right, like, and that's <laughs> nice when a photographer or a videographer has almost, like, a broad range of limits and content that they shoot. Now, I mean, I'm not, I am not knocking niche photographers. Niche is awesome. Yeah. But um, that is nice because it gives more, um, they're, you know, they can work with a wider range of models with different limits.
0: We kind of covered the next question. So have there been any dangerous fetishes you've been asked to model?
1: Okay. So yes, I wanted to touch on this. I this one I was actually kind of thinking long and hard about. Uh-oh. So, I number one I do wrestling, mm. which that has an inherent danger to itself. Um you have to have safety and training. I got into wrestling because I have a baseline knowledge of training. I'm a martial artist. I do taekwondo. I have a black belt. Mm-hmm. You can get hurt in wrestling. You can get very hurt. So, I mean, that's dangerous in the sense of like You can get really injured, permanently injured. Here's an example. I might have said this last time. Wrestling is one of the few fetishes that's on mainstream TV.
0: Mm,
1: And, like, people have seen other people get really hurt or even worse. So that's a thing. Two other fetishes that I do that could, you know, are considered pretty dangerous and you have to have a really large discernible uh, level of safety and just be a consenting adult is trampling. Hmm. I jump on consenting men (laughs) and now here's the disclaimer. I'm 105 pounds and people who, (laughs) yeah, so that's helpful, right? And people who like to be trampled like to be trampled. They typically are not people who are... Newbies, like tramplers are tramplers. But you have to still, like, I still have to feel the other person's body, figure them out, be careful of, listen to them. I ask what parts of your body, like, can you be crushed and smushed and jumped on? And do you have any, I call them, I say no no spots. Do you have any no no spots? Like, do you not want me to jump or step here? And then on that note, you know, not to be morbid, but I do trampling, I will, but only on consenting um, men. it's an incredibly dangerous fetish and illegal like if you want and I will and I will trample on non-precious or sentimental inanimate objects like grapes or cardboard houses
0: hmm.
1: um but it is really not okay to like trample like, even snails or like bugs, things, living creatures. Um, and that's a, That's the thing. So that can be really, and I've been asked to do that kind of stuff, and I, I won't. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's <sighs> something I get asked to do that is really, honestly, probably the most dangerous thing I get asked to do on an almost daily basis at this point in my career. And I don't know why, because I don't have any content of it. So I'm just like, and, I, and then I go, well, yeah, the content, of, you guys think this is real, but I'm not trying to burst any bubbles. Because I have a black belt in Taekwondo, I get asked an email almost every day to knock somebody out.
0: Hmm. I yeah. hear that's actually really dangerous, despite happening in movies all the time.
1: It's. I can't do it. I literally cannot do it for liability and legal reasons. I cannot yeah. make another human on purposely no longer be uh, awake. Yeah. <laughs> and like consenting and yeah, I just, I cannot do that in a work setting. And I get asked almost to backtrack again, to ask you about people who push limits. Mm-hmm. I I get asked Multiple times and, and daily at this point in my career. Will you knock me out in email for a session? And I say no. And then they say, well, I, if I pay you more, will you knock me out? And it, it, you know, and I'm just like, do you guys not understand, like, the true, um the true life? And exactly, you know, that's a great point to hear from a male perspective. Maybe they're just like, because it happens in the movies all the time. They're like, this is so cool. But I'm like, bro, we're acting, we're acting. So that is probably the most dangerous thing I actually get asked on a, like, to do. And it's really interesting because you would think that somebody's asking me to do a dangerous thing that's putting my life in danger. Like, my body in danger, per se. Where if somebody's asking me to knock them out, I still think I'm in, you know, legal danger. So, yeah. yeah, um,
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. That has been really, really, for me, a really interesting journey for me to, like, uh, navigate and tell people, like, no, I I cannot make you go. And, and people not taking no for an answer and then getting really upset and really disappointed. It's been a very interesting journey.
0: Hmm. That's fair.
1: <laughs>
0: you already kind of answered the next question, too, at least in – Reference to the stomping or trampling. Uh, are there clothing specific fetishes you get a lot of requests for? I know that rubber and leather tend to be big ones.
1: Okay. So yes, I wanted to answer this. This one, I liked this question actually. Yes, 100%. <laughs> I don't really get asked for latex or leather. I n- I never have actually. Um, however, there are a lot of certain outfits but I also stay in a certain realm of fetish. Um, I get asked for a yoga yoga outfits all the time. Mm. All, every tour. Every single modeling tour, I have to bring a yoga outfit.
0: It did see you have a lot of yoga stuff on your Twitter.
1: Uh, all the ways. And I actually, I'm not a yogi, but there are a lot of um, principles that cross over between martial arts and yoga. So I think that's where people think I can, you know, I am flexible and I can do things like that. I'm just, I don't know the exact, like, that's a downward eagle, dolphin. (laughs) Um, I don't know that term, you know, those, but I can do the thing. So uh, yoga outfits are probably the main thing I get asked for all the time. Also my dobok, which I'm just going to say to the people out there, I do taekwondo, it is called a the uniform I wear when I do taekwondo is called a dobok. I don't do karate. I don't do kung fu. It's not called a gi. I'm I'm sorry, but do not call it a gi to me. If you're gonna talk to me outside of here, don't. It's <laughs> called a dobok. <laughs> um, and I I really and I'm like if you have a martial arts fetish and you call it a gi, I'm gonna not be nice to you.
0: <laughs> is it is it incorporated with nudity somehow? Like. Unbelted or something, or is it just you wearing it?
1: Just wearing my full dobok, typically. Interesting. Um, is a large uh, outfit costume I'm asked for all the time. Almost have to travel with it every huh. tour. Yeah. Uh, so yoga outfit dobok. Oh, secretary outfit like pencil skirt and kind of like a a white blouse or a button down blouse, like a like a silk, you know, something nice with um. Like a pencil black skirt that's like a solid color and then like a little black heel. Hmm. Something that's super secretary-ish I wear all the time. That's another one. That outfit also crosses over into teacher.
0: Yeah. Teacher librarian is pretty classic.
1: Exactly. So it's that like librarian, secretary, teacher outfit, pencil skirt, blouse, pointy, cute, small heel that's not like a stripper heel. Um, and like then glasses. glasses, I don't wear glasses, but sometimes I get asked for them or fake glasses. So I do mm-hmm. have like a pair of fake glasses, but I'm not a glasses wearer. So sometimes it's, it's a different, it's just a weird sensation on my face. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then because of my young look school girl outfit, you know, that classic yeah. skirt, bl- little top blouse sometimes that little uh it's like a bow tie or a tie
0: long Mm, like a uniform
1: yeah exactly Mm. so those are probably for for me well also because i'm a fae i'm ziva fae fairy i get asked for like woodland nymph fairy because i do a lot of modeling nude in nature like in the forest so I personally, I also have it. I'm Eastern European, like I'm I'm Slavic, Slovakian. So I have this kind of fairy look. So I actually do a lot of work with fairy ears on. Those are probably me Ziva's top personal fetish outfits that I am asked for. Um, and like I, the yoga outfit's probably the top one, and then my dobok, and then the skirt. And you know what? Also, certain shoes not not a whole outfit to also um extend on your question but like i get asked for keds all the time like keds with clean white socks hmm. mhm
0: that's an interesting one like
1: mm-hmm. a lot of the
0: ones you described i can totally see where they're coming from but like clean keds with plain white socks
1: yeah a lot of so a lot of fa- fetish fantasy has to do with literally a um and a an experience somebody had in their life, and maybe during that experience, because a lot of it's about how their love map was built. Maybe the the other human that got them hard yeah. or whatever was in yeah. the gym wearing a yoga outfit, or you know what, whatever it may be.
0: No, they've they've, they've tracked fetishes in men to formative experiences in their early teen years around puberty which is middle school to early high school or alternatively it's a reverse reversal of a disgust reflex so something that's supposed to disgust you is reversed and instead gives you pleasure so those are the those appear to be the two main sources of fetishes
1: okay so
0: like like the teacher librarian one like that's a big source when you're at that age like a lot of those make sense but like the Although I guess, yeah, maybe, maybe a lot of middle schoolers were kids. so. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. Or like they, their love map was formed and they got, I hear so many guys, um, humans say that their fetish or certain thing was formed like after school in the gym setting, mm-hmm. like uh, soccer practice, gym, hmm. uh, wrestling practice, yeah. cheerlead practice, you know, all that kind of stuff.
0: It's interesting.
1: I love the psychology of fetish. I think it's all super interesting and I take the time to try and understand it because I feel like it'll just help me sell my (laughs) content better and be a better actress.
0: Uh, Mine is cock slash hot wifing. And it came from my freshman year in high school. I dated a girl that I had a huge crush on and she broke up with me and dated somebody else immediately afterwards. And I spent my entire freshman year fantasizing that she was hooking up with him because she was because the guy was talking all about like all the things that they were doing, which may or may not have been true. I mean, it's mm-hmm. freshman year in high school. Who knows how much of that was real and how much of it was just boy bragging. Yeah. But I spent the whole year thinking about how much she was doing with him that she wasn't doing with me. And hmm. that has built kind of a lifelong uh thing now about every time when I'm dating or with somebody what turns me on the most is them with someone else
1: interesting
0: yep so I can literally track it back uh to a specific thing that happened
1: that is so cool that is so cool I love asking those questions to producers there there are a few producers that have hired me and I've been like so typically <laughs> why?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, why? why do you want to do this? <laughs>
1: yeah. And typically male producers, you know, not to be like, they do it for selfish reasons, but they're typically shooting more content that they enjoy rather than mm-hmm. just general monetization content. Whereas I call them modelographers, whereas somebody like me who's modeling and producing content right. produces more general fetish across yeah. the board because we're trying to just hit a lot of different markets and fan bases mm-hmm. and it is a business.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we are at the end of the day, like this is my business and I'm a performer and I can do lots of different acting. Where a lot of feti- like uh, fetish producers, they do what they like, which there's nothing, no harm in that. Mm-hmm. That can actually be a good thing because then you're able to sell that content well get those good angles know the true thing of the fetish the true content what they're looking for when because before I started understanding the psychology of these fetishes I will be very honest I did quite a few self-produced fetish videos that flopped and they still flop <laughs> to this day yeah. and I still have them up because like uh, I'm not gonna try and not make money I guess but like yeah. Nobody buys them. Nobody.
0: Well, that, that's that's funny because that's what I was thinking of when I was trying to put together a list of stuff that I could do to monetize the podcast. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I guess I could do a balloon-related video, but I have no idea what they would want. <laughs> so, yeah, and and, so- in terms of my list of stuff, I'm like, all right, what do I know? <laughs> what can I? What can I do?
1: <laughs> yes. And so for me – I have like a a kind of a handful of fetishes that I'm proficient in this point because I've been hired for them a lot. I've done them a lot Mm -hmm. on screen. Um, I've, I've talked to the fan base a lot. And there are a few that I have like studied, like feet, feet, wedgies, bondage, inflation, vor. I have studied quite a few, but there are also other ones where I'm like, I still haven't figured it out yet. Like, to, I'm going to just be so honest. One that I haven't figured out yet is um <laughs> fingernail tapping. That's a fetish. And I just haven't figured out the angle like if they want the close up of your finger tapping, if the I I know that your demeanor <laughs> needs to be stern and like disappointed. But that's kind of all I've been able to crack so far. Whereas like uh, feet that okay, I was doing feet all wrong when I started. I was, really? I was showing the tops of the feet. It was just, I didn't understand. <laughs>
0: That's so. interesting. I'm, I'm curious about that. Cause one of the things that I'm looking at doing is doing like a camera of the model's feet while we record the podcast, thinking That's that fair. fans might want to see that while we do the podcast. So tell me more.
1: <laughs> um, so I've talked to a few foot fetishes online in person, all this. And I can't speak for every foot fetishes, right? Like uh-huh. everyone's unique, has different things. But I guess is what I've noticed is the general consensus is that the soles of the feet, like the wrinkly soles of the feet are where it's at rather than the tops or the sides of the feet. And I, I think, well, I was told actually that like it's just – The way the skin looks and the way the wrinkles of the skin fold and the way, like, a human body's skin folds, like, around the breast and, like, the genital region, the soles of the feet are much more, like, the skin looks more like an intimate part of your body, if that makes Mm. sense. Actually, the same with armpit skin, too, because it's why, it's not why, but it's part of the reason why a lot of people have an armpit fetish. Interesting. Yeah, there's also... I'm probably not going to say the word right. There's like... There's something called... Like, you're, it's, it's the way you... So you form your love map.
0: I'm not familiar with love map. I'm going to have to look that up.
1: I mean, there's no exact science of like, this is why this person has this fetish. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. I definitely actually recommend looking up a love map to explain it really quick, but not go into super detail is what you said earlier, how it's a formative memory. All it is, is formative memory. So like, let's say as a male, you're crawling around on the floor and um, I know that lots of people reach, like get turned on for the first time at lots of different ages and it can be pretty young to to older. And let's say you're, you're a little boy and you're crawling around the the floor on, on a shag carpet um at five years old or whatever and like just the carpet and just crawling around the floor just natural things happen and all of a sudden you're hard um and then maybe like (laughs) the first thing you see is your mom's feet like because you're on you know Mm. just crawling on the floor down there that might be the very first thing that starts your love map and now you might be on the path to liking feet so the yeah there are lots of weird, cool, fetish things to be aware of, study, try and know the exact, like, angles, timing, the thing, which sometimes it's like, like, for you norm- more normies out there, hmm? like when you're watching porn, if you're like, what's the thing in the fetish that gets them going? You know, for people in porn, it's the pop shot, that's the, the quote, <laughs> the dunch climax. And um, for other videos, there there are other things. Like, for example, so I don't talk about it forever. Sometimes <laughs> in the wedgie videos, the climax is the panty getting fully ripped off the person. And being aware of that and getting those angles of the ripping right off the butt and them being embarrassed and in pain and, you know, things like that.
0: Yeah, for uh, hot wife cuck stuff, it's frequently the like the first connection or when she takes off his pants.
1: <laughs> like,
0: especially if it's a really well done one where they have the intro video and like the prep stuff ahead of time, it's not even necessarily the sex. It's like the, cause they'll, a lot of times they'll do like a prep work where, you know, she's getting ready for the date and sometimes, you know, he'll be caged sometimes not depending on if there's a humiliation bit in there, but then like he shows up and there's a little bit of awkwardness and yeah, it's a, it's a lot of prep
1: interesting uh, interesting yeah. like the um it's like the script it's the the scriptural work it's kind of what gets you guys
0: yeah it's it's the anticipation it's the because uh, typically with a lot of so there's there's differences between the cuck and the hot wife but a lot of times in the in the cuck universe the wife has all the power mm-hmm. so frequently she goes out and leaves him at home so there's a ton of anticipation while he's waiting. Until she comes back, and then she comes back, and there may or may not be cleanup involved, but like he misses out on the whole thing, all he has is his imagination, and then maybe she'll tell him about it, and maybe she won't. So, there's it's it's a very much a mind game there.
1: I like that, that's very cool. (laughs) Yeah, and see, all of them are different,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Where can everyone find you online, just in case they've somehow never heard of you?
1: So, everyone, I'm Ziva Faye. That's (laughs) Z-I-V-A, last name, F-E-Y. Honestly, if you type in Ziva Faye, you can find a lot of me. If you cannot find the handle, like, for example, at Twitter, Z-I-V-A-F-E-Y-E-D. Sorry, that's my Instagram. My Instagram is Z-I-V-A-F-E-Y-E-D. My Twitter is Z-I-V-A-F-E-Y. If you don't find the account, that's Z-I-V-A-F-E-Y. Throw on an E-D at the end. See if you can find me that way, because that means probably I've been deleted off of that website, and that's my second go-around account. Yeah, and you guys can always email me. I very much welcome emails with questions. And I will always send you guys my link if you want uh, my Linktree to find me. You can find all my links on Linktree at Ziva Faye.
0: And with that, we are done. Check us out at the NSFW Photography Podcast.com. On Twitter is at NSFW Photography. Instagram at the NSFW Photography Podcast. And subscribe on your favorite podcast app.